Pastor Joyce sends her regrets. Uh, she is unwell, she is sick at the moment, and so asked me to uh, preach this morning, and I have to laugh at her choice of sermon title. Uh, if you look in the bulletin, uh, being ready. Uh, as an Eagle Scout, I find this all very funny uh, and, and right on time. Uh, but luckily, one of the joys of this place uh, and of the preaching life is constantly being immersed in Scripture. Uh, but I'm still going to ask you to pray with me because 24 hours is a fun amount of time. So let us pray. God, we give you thanks for the movement of your spirit. We give you thanks for the gift of scripture. Holy One, speak through these human words. Speak through my words so that we may encounter you, the risen and living word, in whom we have our being, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When I was in seminary, I left this beautiful and wonderful and weird place called the Asian Rule Institute. It exists in Tochigi, Japan. After the horrors of World War II, the church in Japan wanted a way to be able to repent and care for the world, a world that they had seen so much destruction and suffering occur at their own hands. And so the church in Japan started something known as the Asian Rule Institute. One of the weird parts and unique parts of Japan is that they produce more food per acre than anywhere in the world, which is helpful considering that the majority of their country is mountains and that the parts that are where there is land that is tillable and that can grow are very limited. And so over the centuries, they learned all kinds of ways of growing food, and they thought, we have this gift, why don't we share it with the world? And so each year, leaders from the global south all over this planet gather at the Asian Rural Institute for nine months. And the hope is, is that by learning how to produce food and to feed their communities, that peace may break out in surprising ways. This is a very spirit-filled place. And on my last day there, after a summer of farming, I knew what I needed to do to say goodbye. I went to the rice paddies. I took my bike and I went down the hill and I took off my shoes and got in the water. People will say that it's helpful to farm without your shoes on barefoot in the rice paddies for many different ways, but I'll let you in on a secret for me. I did it because it was free air conditioning in a place where there was none. It was squishy and interesting and you could feel the roots and it was helpful for finding the rocks to pick out and it was this visceral and immersive experience and I said goodbye to the rice to this ecosystem that was alive, and I put my hand into the mud and the dirt. It was hard to leave because I had experienced God in a new and bigger way, and I knew that I wasn't going to be back in this type of relationship for a long time. When you think of farming, you don't usually think of New Jersey. 
except there's lots and lots of farms in New Jersey. And so my brain started spinning and I knew I was going back to seminary, but I knew I was going back to the classroom, not to the fields. There was this tension. I had been changed, but now I had other work to do and I didn't know how it was all going to fit together. Jesus' friends, the apostles, formerly the disciples, they've got a new band name. They have come together. They are all in one place. And they are looking at Jesus expectantly. I imagine that they're looking around at the world and the challenges around them, at oppression from Rome, the difficulties of illness and death, the real struggles of poverty that they knew so well, people's inhumanity towards one another. And Jesus is getting ready to go. I like to imagine that they're trying to stop him right before the ascension, saying, like, aren't you forgetting something? The new heaven and the new earth, the unveiling of God's reign, the establishment of justice, the defeat of oppression, don't you have a little bit more to do before you go? There is this tension between what they have experienced with Jesus, the promises of God, and this moment of saying goodbye. It's a tension that has not gone away in the church. There is something known as the eschatological tension, that's your million dollar word for the day, at the eschatological tension. Another way of saying it is the, the here and the not yet, the now and the not yet, that the world has been completely and utterly changed by Jesus's life and ministry and death and resurrection, that the world is transformed and changed. And yet, there are still the struggles of oppression. There is still sin that is part of systems in our world and in our personal lives. All is not well. And yet everything is different. God has been victorious, and yet the battle still continues. There is the promise of eternal life and abundant life. And yet there is so much that diminishes one another and ourselves. And so it's no wonder that the disciples now, apostles, say to Jesus, okay, you're going to come back, so, so when? Should we leave the coffee going? Is this just going to be a quick trip up and back? <laughs> or should we get ready for the long haul? Jesus has asked a lot of questions in the Bible, and he usually doesn't answer them. He's really good at that, actually. It's a little bit frustrating sometimes. We're not to know. We won't know, but you still have something to do. Don't worry, I'm not leaving you with nothing to do. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit, and you're going to testify to me all over this tired world. I love that they're not told, it's your mess, fix it, right? 
That's not what he says. He doesn't say, you're on your own. He says, you're going to receive the same spirit that has been in me. And you're going to go out with new eyes and hearts to see and feel this world. And you're going to find yourself in surprising places with people that you never thought you would count as friends or family. And you're going to testify to me of where you see me working, impossibly, in this tired old world. Into this tension, Jesus invites the apostles to be on the lookout for what God is up to, what Jesus' continuing mission in the world will be, and that they will have a spirit within them and among them that will invite them into that very work, invite them into encountering God in new ways. Some things will be their work to do, and other things won't. He doesn't leave a checklist, here are your chores while I'm away. He says, you will go and you will share about where you see me at work and the Holy Spirit's going to help you to partner with it at times. Be ready because I'm coming back. But it's going to be a little bit more hazy than maybe you were hoping. After my time at the Asian Rural Institute, I returned to Princeton Seminary, and I was on the lookout for where this experience of farming might connect with my seminary education and my future ministry. And luckily, I met a very odd PhD student, Lee Stuckey. Uh, Lee grew up as a farmer and had been a farmer and now was a theologian. He was working on a dissertation about rest, which I found very interesting. The ministry of naps. That wasn't his term, but that's <laughs> what I teased him about. And I took a class with him on the theology of Reinhold Niebuhr and the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And the ways in which Dr. King was inspired by Dr. Niebuhr and how so much of that work was in that tension. What is our work to do? What is God doing? And what are we waiting for inspiration for what comes next? But the other thing that Lee was working on was this theology of caring for the soil. Agrarianism, as it is sometimes known, Wendell Berry and the like. And so we started working together on papers and different ideas, and there was something bubbling up at the seminary. These discussions of learning the gifts and the responsibility of caring for the soil and how that could transform our understandings of scripture and of life together. But our original calling from the book of Genesis to care for the earth, it was a fascinating and interesting time, and I graduated, and I left, and I came to Philadelphia, and there was no farming in that time at Broad Street, but there was this idea and this hope 
he kept working on this idea of the connection between scripture and the Christian life and farming and caring for the soil. And there was an odd moment where he decided to go and talk to the, the president of the seminary about the possibility of starting this odd thing called a farminary. <laughs> of saying, what if the classroom for seminarians, for a few classes, eight or so, took place on a farm? And he shared this wild and beautiful idea, and Craig Barnes, the president at the time, stopped him at one point in the conversation and said, these chickens that you're talking about, they're not a metaphor, are they? <laughs> no, they are very, very real chickens. He left the meeting, Craig didn't say no, and a couple months later called him back uh, and had on his desk some land surveys and said, well, we uh, maybe in 2010 bought a farm at the seminary. No one kind of noticed that we did it, but we, we did happen to buy a 21-acre farm. It was an investment in land. We knew the person. They sold it to us cheap. Uh, would that work for you? And they went out to the land, and it was exhausted. It had been used for turf farming, gr growing grass that is then cut and rolled up. And with every harvest, a little bit more of the topsoil went away, and there was nothing left. What a metaphor for life. For a world that has taken more and more and more. For a church where exhaustion, both of pastors and of leaders in the pews, and for a world that never stops, it was exhausted, and so are we, and so they set to work. They started composting everything they could find from the grounds at the coffee shops in town to waste from the seminary. They found someone who was a goat farmer, and there's a lot of waste with that that I won't bore you with, but you can imagine. <laughs> They brought in very real chickens and created a chicken tractor where they would feed on the grass and fertilize the space as they went, and it is thriving. There are eight classes now that are taught at the farminary. One about the Gospel of Luke, which is very much a part and parcel. It is chapter one of the two-book set of Luke and the book of Acts. And they sit around a table and eat food that they have grown, and they look at all of the stories of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, where there is a table. And they are, there are a lot of them. And they look at how different they read that text, being around a table, eating things that they have grown. But the biggest mission of the farminary is to replenish the soil. Because... There are ways of farming that restore the soil and bring it back to life. There are ways of getting what we need for our daily journey that doesn't destroy the world around us, but repairs it and brings new life. And then, of course, there is that pesky business of seminarians of having to learn how to preach. 
when I recently went and visited the farminary, they took us to the compost pile and they said, if you can't preach the compost, then you should just quit. <laughs> because here is a place of death and chaos that brings new life. Here is a place where all that is old and has fallen apart gets some grace. And it's not by our hands, but it is this amazing and magical, mystical experience of new life coming out of death. If you can't preach the compost heap, you won't be able to preach the empty tomb. There is so much hope in that place. There are so many opportunities for people to share and give testimony of God moving through their lives. There is so much restoration happening. But the biggest thing for the farminary is not to get exhausted, right? It's to build back and to have what we need because if the Spirit is leading us, there is work for us to do, but there is also work for God or for others. And so in a time of exhaustion, friends, I invite you to think about your own busy lives or maybe your own quiet, unbusied lives where there is boredom or loneliness. To think about where you see God at work where there is the need for new life and hope. Maybe there are some things that just need to go out to the compost heap. Or maybe you need to be fed with new and restoring practices and community. I don't know for you where the hope lies, where there is that need for transformation. Maybe it's not a compost pile for you, it's something else. But I will tell you this, there are people here and in our wider community that have stories to tell, testimony to share of God showing up, of the Holy Spirit being at work and Jesus's mission continuing. And that is enough to repair this world and to feed us all. So let us give good testimony. Let us share what we have. Let us be open for God's surprising work, even if it includes a little compost and death and new life.